Do you remember the 70s? Did you have a Dorothy Hamill haircut, a wraparound skirt, or a station wagon the size of a parade float? If the answer is yes, we just found your new favorite book. It's called You Cannot Mess This Up, A True Story That Never Happened by Amy Wineland Daughters. It's about a 40-something mom of two who travels back in time to 1978 and meets her 10-year-old self in her childhood home full of shag carpeting and ashtrays. It's hilarious. It's emotional. And we have the author with us today for a special book club edition of the Pop Culture Preservation Society because Carolyn and Michelle and I are obsessed (laughs) and we can't stop talking about it. And we have questions. Amy, thank you so much for being here. You're such a good sport for being with us today. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here, and I'm excited that you enjoyed the book so much. It was. It was just like um, speaking to us completely, and it's going to speak to all of our society members, too, because, like I said, this is where we live. We refer um, to this book. We we talk about this book just in normal conversation. Yeah. We'll say, oh, yeah. we'll just be talking about something, and we'll say, you know, it's like it's like little Amy, or it's, yeah, like, what, yeah, it's Amy. like what it's like what big Amy discovered. Or, <laughs> so, so it diff- really did touch us. It absolutely did. It's kind of a, and we'll explain this as we get further along, but it's sort of a hybrid of memoir and fiction, and that will become clearer as we go along. But like Michelle just referred to Little Amy and Big Amy, because Amy, like we said, went back in time to 1978 to meet Little Amy. So you'll hear a lot about Little Amy and Big Amy. Um, Okay, so like I said, it's going back in time to work your shit out, basically. This book is about (laughs) going back in time to work your shit out. And... um. For your main character, this is when you are 10 years old, you're going back to work your shit out, in 1978. And so so this is a book that is really cloaked in nostalgia from 1978. And for our listeners, let's just get a quick read on who you were at that time. We have three quick answer questions for you. Just off the top of your head, answer these questions. Number one, what was your favorite TV show? Uh, Little House on the Prairie. Awesome choice. Good choice. Mm-hmm. What was Solid. your favorite movie? My favorite movie was uh, Grease. Of course it was. <laughs> so appropriate the, for 10 years old. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the record you listen to over and over. Oh, Afternoon Delight. Skyrockets in flight. Afternoon Delight. Again, so appropriate. <laughs> so appropriate. <laughs> and lastly, did you have a celebrity crush? I did, and it was Andy Gibb. Ooh, Bless him. Oh. You're Bless gonna have to fight, fight Kristen for yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. No, we share. We all little share. Kristen and we little Amy might have gone down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's right. We would have liked, liked to see a pine cone fight with um, Andy right. and Kristen. Uh, that's maybe we would just like share the. We'll share the poster. It'll be one week at your house and one week at my house. That's right. <laughs> that sounds great. Amy, the pop culture references were just beyond for me. You had me at this line. Then there was a turtleneck sweater, ribbed, I suppose, for my pleasure. It was the same (laughs) yellow gold as the pant. It was seriously tight and for some unknown reason had a zipper at the back neck opening. I couldn't see it, but I could definitely feel it. Speaking of secret feelings, I suddenly realized that the sweater didn't end where it ought to. I couldn't be sure, but it seemed like the ribbed goodness kept going past its normal pre-established boundary. 
What I'm saying is it felt like it covered my panty. Yes, it seemed like it truly did cover the panty area, front and back. And if I wiggled just so, I could feel snaps in my crotch. <laughs> this was indeed a pullover turtleneck, but it was also a snap crotch half bodysuit. I had never worn such a garment or seen one in person. And I'll stop right there. Carolyn has, has um, she has some history with the bodysuit. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We just did our fashion episode and my um, ideal representative outfit of the 70s was my yellow ribbed bodysuit mm-hmm. that because I was tall would constantly come unsnapped and um, would be hanging on for dear life with that one snap <laughs> left snap there. So um, <laughs> thank you for that. And that was just the beginning. You guys, the, the references just are amazing. That's I, really part of the, that's so much of what, there's a story that we'll talk about as we go, but it's the pop culture references that I'm just so in awe of. I actually counted and there are over 150 Pop culture references. They're referencing toys, TV, clothes, household items, music of 1978, including things like Holly Hobby, The Gong Show, Dippity Doo, Toxic Shock Syndrome, and Professor Plum in the Library with the Rope. <laughs> and it's so, it's so fun when you're reading and you can come across something and go like, oh my God, I had that. I mean, not the Toxic Shock, but... Um, <laughs> Everything but that. Everything but that part. And so, what I'm wondering is, oh God, oh Oh my God, I know we were going to die of toxic shock syndrome. So I'm wondering. Clearly, this was um, there was a lot of research involved here, but I'm wondering how much of it came from your memory, how much of it came from Google. How did you go about gathering all these pop culture references? Well, there was a lot of memory for sure, and I'm I'm somebody who you know. Who's is your people? And I live in the past, and I'm obsessed with you know, like I look at the Sears catalog before I go to bed from the <laughs> 1970s, you know. And so my passion for that, and then what I remembered, but then to get to that detail, I just did a lot of research, and the research was all joy. I oh. loved every minute of, it. and actually, I worked with an editor, and I had to cut about. I would say I cut half of it out, probably, of what I had in there because there was so much. Because I loved yeah. it, I loved it too much. I, you know, there was too much love. And so yeah. I researched between, I did, a, I watched a lot of YouTube ads from that time period. Mm-hmm. A lot of the outfits came straight out of the Sears catalog. <laughs> um, so a lot of it, the de- the actual detail was based on research, you know, but the items I picked were based on my memory and I kind of obsessed. I mean, I spent hours looking the stuff yeah. up. So oh God, that's what I, I feel like um, we do that with our podcast a lot. We call it cutting our darlings. And mm-hmm. um, because that's hard. we have such such stuff that we love and we have to cut it. But what I, speaking of all these pop culture references in your book and how you did all this research, it's when I read it, it was almost like our Instagram page, our pop culture preservation society, Instagram page come to life. It It was was, all these toys and music and clothes and all the things that we actually are trying to preserve here. You did it all in your book. So yes, I mean, I feel like you're an honorary one of us because like we have, this is exactly what we're doing with our society and it's what you did in this book. And so that's why, again, we're going to say this a million times to everyone listening, but <laughs> must, if you love, if you love this podcast, if you love our Instagram page, you will love this book. You yeah, will yes. see yourself in all of these things. And the references are just, they don't stop. And it um, tells you when you, when you catch a reference, it tells you that you and I were born on the same day. 
I mean, I'm pretty sure you were born on March 19th, 1968, because <laughs> you were exactly in the same place in terms of what you were playing and what you were watching mm-hmm. and what you were listening to. And we talk about this in the podcast quite frequently, the importance of finding people who were experiencing the same thing you were at the same time you were, at the same age that you were. That's a very right. bonding thing. Mm-hmm. Right. And I don't think I understood how that would resonate with other people. And, and I, would, I would find my people through that, that there was other people that had that same passion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think when you write, especially your first book, you just think, okay, well, you know, this, you know I'm going to put this out here and we'll see how it goes. Yeah. And the responses from people, the passionate responses, what I love the most is when people say, oh, I remember this, but do you remember this? I got a lot of emails about, <laughs> but do you remember this? And that yeah. just is such a fun discourse, mm-hmm. you know, because I was like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I, re- I remember that. And that's why I loved y'all's Instagram page too. When you did the thing with the Fisher Price toys mm-hmm. and you were doing them outside, you were trying to get them just right. You that was that castle, yes. that, that castle set up. Oh my God, I was dying. I mean, oh I literally gosh. didn't get anything done because I got obsessed. So. Amy, you should have seen the cars driving past us. We're probably like, oh what God. are these three over 50 year old women doing playing with the toys out there? Right. But that's it the does best. look like we're playing. It is so true we though. Were. It's like, it's like, that's what we've found so much joy in too with our podcast and our social media is the people that are sending us DMs and commenting, oh, Mm -hmm. you should do this or what about this? And like Kristen just said, we have found, we started this in in the pandemic um, because the the joy that we all found getting together when we were all isolated and talking about these memories and the nostalgia was palpable. And so we thought, well, why not everybody? I mean, there's something here. We all find this this joy and this comfort and nostalgia and um and so that's why we think it's so much fun and here we are sitting with you. one of the things that yeah. like i want to i want to piggyback on what Kristen was saying that you were her um one of the things that brings me so much joy in your book is the way you go back and you see your 10 year old self through your adult eyes and i don't know that a lot of us actually do that. I mean, we can think about what we liked and who we crushed on and what we wore, but do we ever go back and really examine our personalities? Who from the we? outside. What yeah, were we? And outside. I I related so much to your description of young Amy. And part of it is because I'm I'm now kind of fearful that's what I would be thinking of myself. Because when you go back and you see yourself as a 10-year-old through the lens of your adult eyes, you're very honest with what you see. I'm going to read just a couple passages that um, that I, I just love. You say, she, when you first meet her, you first see your 10-year-old self, um, you first get introduced to her, you say, she was a crazed, wide-eyed freak. Oh my God, she was nuts. <laughs> Putting my finger exactly on the emotions I was flooded with would be difficult, but terms such as uncomfortable, hesitant, uneasy, awkward, difficult, and a healthy dose of painful would be a good starting point. Honestly, I couldn't look directly at her. And then you say later, she was exasperating, I was exasperating, and seriously, we were an embarrassment. (laughs) (laughs) And it kind of carries through the whole thing that your young self is very 
very excited. She's just, I, I, I didn't look at her as spastic or I looked at her as just delightful. And maybe that's yes. because I was hoping, because I was seeing myself in that. I look back now and I think, <laughs> man, I was probably really obnoxious when I was little. I was very loud. My nickname from my stepfather was one volume too loud. They all just wanted me to settle down. You know, and quiet down. (laughs) Tell us about going back and really examining your 10-year-old self um, as an adult. And was this something that you did just for the book, or was this something that you were doing personally examining little Amy? No, and I think to answer that, to go back, the reason I wrote the book is because, like you guys, I'm obsessed with, you know, vintage things, the Sears catalog, like I said. So I've always wanted to travel back in time. So I was like, I'm going to write a, a time travel book, but it's going to be hilarious because I think I'm funny. And so I was like, I'll make people laugh. And so that was my whole intention. I'm going to write a funny back in time book. And then when I realized if I really was going to write myself back to my 10 year old self, that I was going to have to really look at myself at that age. And that's where all the feelings.com came in. So I very, <laughs> I, I, I very on, on accident wrote a catharsis is what I did. And I didn't mean to, I oh meant to write, God. A funny, hilarious back in time book where I lived in the Sears catalog for 48 hours. And instead, so I didn't intentionally realize what it was going to be to look at myself. But what I love about the book is I, when I wrote the book, I was one person. And when I finished it, I was another person because I really think I came to terms with stuff about my mother and really about myself that at the end, I love the Lamy. She's my favorite oh, character, but, but walking same. into it, I was like, oh my God. And I had watched videos of myself to research it, like old, that old, uh, you know, the old film that dad did on the yeah. eight millimeter. Movies. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I, I, I actually went away for like four days and watched all that stuff, got all the family photos out. And that was my reaction to myself was that line you read, Michelle. I was, I was like, oh my gosh, please calm it down. Like one volume down, like six volumes down. Yeah. And then as I, you know, got in the book, the way the book played out was intentional, unintentional in that I kind of fell in love with her as an adult at the end. What a beautiful thing that I didn't yeah. expect, mm-hmm. you know, after, wow. and you actually had to get to that place because the, your initial reaction to her is, Oh my God. Right. Too much. <laughs> and too that's, much. I'm so, I'm fascinated with the fact that this was an accident. I yes. was under the impression that this was something you'd been grappling for a long time and maybe you were going to use the book to work on it, but you're saying you stumbled upon this discovery of yourself. Right. And I, you know, I knew what issues I had probably with myself and with Mm -hmm. my mom for sure, but I I certainly didn't write the book intentionally thinking this will be a healing process. I wrote the book because I wanted to be crack myself up and look at a Sears catalog. Well, that's really interesting because your book also explores the oftentimes complicated relationship between mothers and daughters and how we can still be grappling and making sense of that, um, you know, as adults. And in your story, Adult Amy witnesses her mother treat little Amy in a way that validates a lot of her own memories, yet she's also able to see these things through a different lens. So, like, I'm going to just read a couple of passages um, that, because I'm someone who is struggling with this very issue, these passages just really hit me. Um, And one of them, um, you say, it was complicated. Life was complicated. She wasn't the only person in the world with layers. She was just the only one who also gave birth to me. That apparently gave me the right to be harder on her than anyone else in the whole world. 
And then another page later, you say, I realized how wrong I was, how right I was, and how memories are nothing more than aged perceptions. I was right about my mom, and I was wrong about her, too. It hurt almost inexplicably to witness actual events that validated my feelings. It was, in equal doses, healing and freeing. And so I'm just fascinated by the fact that, because my question before you just said this about you started writing this book as kind of just a comp, as, as a humor book, I... My question was going to be how much of this, the aspect of this book was thanks to a good therapist um, <laughs> or, or served as good therapy for you. Um, which or was I it guess, done hand in hand with a therapist? Yeah, I mean, the so, whole thing is a healing yeah. journey. I mean, that, there was just a lot of stuff that I have read. I have, you know, I have these little flags here and I've this wow. highlighted because it's something I'm working on too. And it just was really, um, there was a lot and, and then, it, and it, and it carries on throughout the whole book, but, I guess how did that how did that um, come to be in your writing process? Like, did you, you know, intend I, to work to work out your issues with your mom in this hilarious book? No, I didn't intend to. But then again, when I wrote myself, when I began to write it, <clears throat> I had a first draft that didn't that wasn't as deep. And I worked with a story editor, and she's like, you know what? And she was a really, I mean, she was just a gift, but she was very like she she you know she wasn't terribly humorous. And she was, she pushed me and she was like, look, if you're going to, your reader's not going to really get anything out of this. If you do not explore how you feel about this stuff. And if you do not go deeper. And so she really, she was my therapist mm -hmm. and she just kind of pushed me to, cause I, you know, once I got into it, I realized the book could be something more than a funny book. And so I kind of just wrote myself through it. And mm -hmm. that's what, that's how it came out. And so it's all very real and very raw. And some of it's hard to read for me still. Mm -hmm. And it's mm -hmm. hard to, but it was very healing. And I think her pushing me saying, cause I would stop in places and be make, you know, kind of like I would do mostly in real life, like make little yeah. references and expect everybody to figure it all out, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. And then she'd be like, no, you can't just leave people hanging like that. You have to come back next week with paragraphs about this. She's oh, like, if that's, you know, can I get her name? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. She and I got right. to the point where it was hard, but, um, we just worked ourselves to a relationship where she ended up pushing me the right way. And, and, um, that's what came out in the writing. So Michelle, really you need did. to write a book. I think you need to yeah, call maybe. this woman and write a book. <laughs> she really did though. Cause you said, she said to you, you know, people might not get as much out of it. And I have to tell you that as much as I love your book for, the pop culture references and for the trip down memory lane, I love it equally for what we've just been talking yeah. about. Um, yes. And I did get a lot out of it. Um, so thank you for that. Yeah. And it does make, it makes it land a lot harder and it makes those pop culture references meaningful. They're not just there to entertain us for the moment. They actually are adding texture to something that's really quite meaningful. Um, right. I want to talk about the cocktail party for a second. So um, there's a moment in time where these are things you don't realize. It's um, The book takes place on Thanksgiving Day. And when you're a child and you go to Thanksgiving, there comes a point where you go to bed and you have no knowledge of what happens after <laughs> bedtime. Well, Big Amy gets this opportunity to see what was happening in her house after little Amy had gone to bed. All these things are a revelation to me. So um, at this cocktail party scene, your descriptions of the clothes that people are wearing, it's painstakingly detailed. And I'm so glad to hear that <laughs> the Sears catalog really helped you out with that. It's like <laughs> Sansbelt slacks 
and polyester double knit tartan plaid bell bottoms that and they're all there's so many bulges at this party like all the slacks are just pulled a little too tight there's yeah. lots of bulging uh, yeah. and so much smoking so yeah. much smoking in yeah. um, 1978 um but the other thing that happens at this cocktail party besides your eyes being open to the world that takes place after little Amy goes to bed is you're doing a lot of exploring of the role of women. Um, and this is a thread throughout the whole book. Mm -hmm. It just is on fire at this party because it's these couples from your suburban neighborhood who are showing up after bedtime basically to get wasted. Um, <laughs> and so I'm wondering, were you trying to show how far women have come since 1978 or were you coming to terms with how shitty it was for women when you were a child? <laughs> well, that's a great question. Yeah. And I think that there's, there's probably both those layers are probably true. And I think the biggest thing in writing myself back, I, you know, I was the same age as my mother in the book. So my, mo my mother in 1978 and, and me as big Amy going back in time, we're about the same age. And I found that to be probably the, the most, one of the more freeing levels, layers besides the whole seeing myself as a child, because I looked at her experience and compared it to mine and thought, wait a second, you know, I, I really felt like she got kind of screwed over on the whole thing because I was brought up in this. I mean, you know, I, I get to live in this space where there's a lot of freedom for me to do things that she never had the opportunity to do, mm -hmm. which I think had a lot to do with how she reacted to the place she was in, you know, and I think that that was to me. I wanted to show that because I wanted to show that I saw my mom and the people, her contemporaries in this place that, you know, me and you guys, our contemporaries were never held to that. So, and it yeah. also um, was uh, the women at this party are trapped in that place too. Right. And that also means that little Amy was trapped in that place too. And I don't think little Amy had, she was not, she was not conforming to that place that people were expecting of her. So it kind of goes back to Michelle's question about mothers and daughters. If, if the mother, if the mother and the daughter don't have the same expectations of what a woman's life is going to be, that can cause some conflict. Right. Right. And the other part, that cocktail scene, I had done a lot of research about, you know, things contemporary to the month before and the month after November of 1978. And I had read an article and it references this about this, head and master law in the state of Louisiana where you couldn't own your own property. And that was a real court case that was being battled. And I was so fascinated. So I wrote that into somebody's yeah. dialogue only because I was so alarmed by it that, you know, this was in our lifetime. This yeah. is a state bordering the state that I lived, I live in now and I grew up in, but I, and, and so I think those highlights were, you know, the other layer, that's a part of who I am that I was alarmed by that and wanted to share it. And it's and, funny because I wanted to share it with people like you, and now we're now we're discussing. Yeah, it. Right? Yeah. Isn't that great? And there's well, one yeah. woman at the party who's the lone feminist, and she's right, the one right. who's really upset about this law. And the other people are kind of poo-pooing her, or like, "Oh, please, God, get her out of here!" Right. And that's right. hurtful for for little Kristen and big Kristen. That hurts me. <laughs> no, that I, even yeah. the women are like, "Oh, please, shut up, feminist." Right. Right. Well, I, I wanted to share the fact that. Um, I think reading your book again, and as I um, am working through some stuff, kind of like Michelle, with our moms, you know, our moms were really caught in a hard place because mm -hmm. they, uh, well, my mom had um, gone to college in the 60s. So kind of pre-women's lib, her choices were, you're going to be teacher or nurse. Mm -hmm. right. and, um, and then she gets to witness this liberation. But she's stuck because she's already made so many choices that she maybe felt like she didn't have 
a choice about. And then um, I remember one of our biggest arguments was when I was in college and I wanted to be an education major. And she was like, no, I'm not going to pay college, you know, your tuition mm. for you to be an education major. No Teachers way. don't make enough money. They're overworked. And it was like, finally, you know, her expectation for me was like, oh my gosh, you have all these choices and you want to be a teacher. And I had to be a teacher. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I done some work and became her age and now see, oh my gosh, like this was her chance to say, look, you don't have to be this thing that I didn't have a choice about. And I just, I ache for our moms because they were, you know, they witnessed this chance to make choices, but it was kind of too late for a lot of them, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, They were kind of stuck. And so we are their opportunity to do the things that maybe they didn't get to do. So um, I really felt that yeah. in some of the things that, that you wrote about Amy as well. well. I appreciate that. You know, my mom's reaction to the book was interesting because the things that she really liked were, she liked that I discussed her and my father's relationship and her place of kind of being stuck in it. And her first read through, I was completely terrified for oh, my family. Oh, to read I, it. I mean, I was, <laughs> my friends finally were like, you're going to give them a copy before, like a, you know, a bound, you know, PDF file before it comes out. And then you're going to go back to Ohio at Christmas after Christmas and like run out of there. Yeah. You throw it out and just run. And I did, I gave it to them all as a Christmas present and I got out of town the next day. But (laughs) though there's a lot of difficult things, I don't know how she read. And that was very freeing too, because all of a sudden now all that's been said and we're in a much different place than we were before. And the whole epilogue was true. I wouldn't Mm -hmm. spoke to her. But she, but the parts that she, that, that she liked the first, I think she felt very validated that I, you know, saw her as a contemporary and someone who was stuck, like you said, Carolyn, in this, you know, in this between two time periods, basically that decided what they were going to be. So, Mm -hmm. and she loved me discussing her and dad's relationship. Was it the best thing for her, even though he's the greatest guy I ever met? And uh, it's funny because that's not what I thought her reaction was going to be. Like her first reaction was going to be click, like hang oh, up the phone. right, right. <laughs> no, and she said we, we're fine. But I'm just saying that had yeah. to been hard to read. I'm a mom, mm-hmm. and that's terrifying. Sure. I I thought about that the whole time I was reading because, as I mentioned at the top, it's sort of a it's a hybrid of memoir and fiction. You, the main character is you. You use the real names of your family of origin, your husband, your children. This is all leading us to believe that this is an autobiographical novel an autobiograph, somebody help me, autobiography. But clearly (laughs) you didn't go back to 1978, right? Right. I mean, or did you? I don't know. So we we really wondered like where those lines were drawn, how much of the family drama is created, how much really happened to you, how much of the details really happened to you. I even think about things like the pee pillow and the and the wedding gift debacle with your grandma. Like are those things that and the treehouse, are those things real? How much was created and how much is true? Well, I think most of the memories are real. The pee pillow, the the treehouse, the pinecone wars, the 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 wedding gift debacle with my grandmother that's all real the, <gasps> the the things that are made up mainly are the dialogue mm-hmm. which I could not have <clears throat> you know that I couldn't have remembered that well and so I'd say most of the action points are based other than the cocktail party mm-hmm. which was fabricated because I couldn't have seen that right right, right. though I could have known it went on maybe 
but most most of the memories are based not on Thanksgiving 1978, but some memory from my childhood. Right. But fascinating in looking at with my brother and sister, they don't remember mm-hmm. things the same way because again, to right. you, you quoted that Michelle that memories are nothing more than perception, and the perception of a ten year old is different than the perception mm-hmm. of a forty five year old. So yes, most of it is based on fact, um, except for the dialogue. And then just uh, like the trip to the mall wasn't specific, you know, to my memories, but <laughs> but most scene. of the little personal memories are personal memories. But but the thing is, you know, th- this is my story. This is who I am, and and I, you know, I stand behind it. And there's a lot of there's a lot of power in that, and that my story matters, mm-hmm. and because everyone's mm-hmm. story matters. That's you know, right. Michelle, your yes. story matters. Carolyn, your story matters. Kristen, your story matters. It matters, and I think me making it matter to myself you know, makes me want to tell other people, your story matters. It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter that Mm -hmm. we're going to be on Oprah or we're not going to be on Oprah. That doesn't Mm -hmm. matter. What matters is it matters to us and the people who love us. And I think that's one of the biggest things I got out of it is that, yeah, it matters. And yes, this is my version of reality. And no, it's not everyone else's version, but I stand behind it. And it sounds like your family honored that, which truthfully, that is not the answer I expected from you because you get into some really, um, some really heavy stuff, some things about how your mother viewed you. And you suspected that maybe your mother didn't like you or maybe she didn't even love you. And I think as a mother to see that on the page, that would be very, very difficult. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like she heard you and she honored what you were saying on the page. Mm -hmm. Right. And I don't know how much of it she's just going to shelf. And and that's fine because that's, Mm -hmm. she's, you know, like I said, I've, there's part of me that feels, you know, guilt towards that, obviously. But, you know, yeah. when we did the book launch um, here in Houston, she was on the front row mm-hmm. with the book in her hand. And I told her, but if you guys want to see what love and grace looks like, you can look yeah. at Sue Wineland sitting in row one and, and supporting me I through know. this whole thing. And <laughs> she's getting all teary now. <laughs> and, and we've gotten a lot closer because of I don't know how she read some of it, honestly. Mm-hmm. Because it's hard for me to read. And, and and again, it's not, none of it is earth shattering. You know, it's just real life. It's so. just true. Oh, that is so true. Because you actually bring up quite a few times like, listen, I was a privileged person. I mm-hmm. needed for Absolutely nothing. My parents were together. I had a roof mm-hmm. over my head. And yet I still had some difficulty that just because I didn't suffer in the way some other people suffered doesn't mean that I didn't suffer. And I think you, I, I didn't do it nearly as eloquently as you do it in the book there, but I think it's just like what you said previously, where your story matters, even if you had everything provided for you. Right. 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 Even though I had all the latch hook rug kits, I could get my hands on, (laughs) you know, and all the shrinky dink kits I could do. I I did. But that's why we have to validate within ourselves and say, you know what, this matters because it does matter to me. That's why we're all still discussing this stuff. That's why we that's why I needed the editor to push me. And I didn't even know it, you know, because she she was the one saying, but you you had to have questions. And I was like, questions, what questions? And that's where that whole little storyline of. I don't have any questions. I still don't have any questions throughout the whole book. We wove that through because I absolutely had questions that need to be answered. I just wanted to refuse it until I was at the end singing you light up my life in a, in a Ford LTD on my way back to the airport. <laughs> Which is one of my favorite parts when the tiny bowl man comes by in the boat, you know, and I start eating fish sticks from the hot guy on the box. <laughs> but but yeah, absolutely true. And 
Great observations. Um, Amy, is there a part, you said you love the end part where you're, you know, the tidy bowl man, but what were some <laughs> of your favorite, either either your favorite parts to write because they just flowed so easily or your favorite parts now that the book has been published and, um, you know, you go back and read it? What are some just, just like best of, like, what do you, what do you love about it? I, I love, Scenes. well, what I love is I love all the funny parts because I think I'm funny. You know, <laughs> They're very funny. Yes. Laugh and, out loud, funny, everyone. Right. For and sure. there's the part of Bonanza. Uh, oh, where, where I do my feelings at the end. And uh, I, when we did the audio book, I, I, uh, they literally had to stop the audio book because I laughed. <laughs> I mean, they were like, it's all these men too, which is funny because, you know, the guys are like this 30 year old guys running the studio and I'm talking about tampons. Yeah. You know, well, and we was, have to clarify, it's not Bonanza the show. It's Bonanza. No, no, it's the restaurant. Right, right, right. I feel like I could smell Bonanza the Steakhouse during that part <laughs> mm-hmm. of the book. It was right. so real. The salad bar, and it's the new thing. Yeah. The salad bar yeah. is brand new. There's like six items on it. Yeah, and Dad was like, go get the good stuff, you know. And yeah. I, that really cracked me up. And to the point, like I said, they had to stop the audiobook uh, recording so I could like yeah. get over myself and move yeah. on. And I love the, the mall scene. Oh, the mall um, scene. Oh, and, I could like, stand Hickory up Farms. and get it. Yeah, Hickory yeah, Farms. Yeah, Hickory Farms. Carolyn oh. was talking about that. You had yes. me at, I mean, let me just say, I'm going to digress a little, but I thought I was the only person that wanted the triple <laughs> stack of Hickory Farms. And then you take little Amy to Oshman's. Oh my God. And you get her the football stuff because that was me. I mean, I, I was an NBA basketball fan and I had my um, subscription to Basketball Digest. I was like, that's me. I'm little Amy going from Hickory Farms, just as happy as can be with my triple. Who gets that? Who gets yeah, the triple thing? That's beautiful. I love the whole mall scene, um, but I love, and, I, and again, because I relate so much to little Amy, I love the gong show scene, oh, and I love her little offices in her closets. Oh, I was yes. the same way. I had yeah. a balloon factory in my office at one point. I had offices, and I loved office supplies. Those were my favorite Amazing. things. Like, I mean, give me a good label maker or just a stapler thrilled right. me to no end. And I would right. set up little desks and you know wherever I could. And oh, I had different stores and different offices. But those those little those little glimpses into. I'm assuming that's who you were as a child too. Those were yeah, true. all real. The gong yeah. show was real. The office was yeah. real. Um, I also really liked. I think one of the more poignant scenes was when I go upstairs and uh, say goodnight to little Amy and tuck her in. Um, I love that scene, even though I don't love every part of it. I love the disc, the, the conversation between my adult self and my younger self because that's when I think I really saw like. I love her so much. She's awesome. Yeah. I wish I could be her. And the hug we had at the end. That, I mean, that's a very poignant, one of my favorite, you know, scenes for sure. Because I think it captures both of us pretty well. It was so. a very poignant scene. And she has her little white Bible that zips up. That oh, has yeah. a little zipper around well, it. And it was. she yeah. was so earnest. She's so freaking earnest. And she reads her Bible every night. And this is her favorite mm-hmm. passage. And then here you were. This is where we have to get very meta. Like, people just have to stop for a second and think of what it would be like to sit down on your bed with the pink gingham bedspread. Because I had the pink gingham bedspread. Your and memory's look great, too. at yourself. <laughs> in your bed with mm-hmm. your little white zippered up Bible and talk to yourself. I mean, I, mm-hmm. but I hope I'm making myself clear listeners. <laughs> but very talk to yourself. What I was going to say is um, when you were just saying that that was one of your favorite scenes, the three of us were tearing up. Yeah. I, I was choked up almost every scene where you're having a moment with little Amy. And especially when you're telling her she's going to be okay, yeah. that kind of stuff. Um, 
I can't even say, I can't even say it, but like that kind of stuff just just hit me really, really hard because I would I would imagine doing that and going back and there were so many instances in my life that I would love to go back and give myself a hug and say, it's going to be okay. You're going to be okay. You're going to have wonderful children and you're going to have a wonderful life. But how emotional was that for you writing it? I mean, did you have moments where you were like, oh man, I got to have a glass of wine and put this down for a little (laughs) bit? Or was it like, did you have difficulty sleeping or was it mostly very cathartic or was it a balance between the two? I think it was a balance between all that. I had a really... There was a certain there was a certain number of scenes where I just kept getting up and I couldn't write them, yeah. and that's where the editor really helped. She just helped push me and be like, you know, it's fine. Um, but but then, yeah, they were hard to write, and I don't know. I, they were written at different times, and I'd go mm-hmm. rewrite them. And uh, there's certain parts of it I still don't want to read, you know, because mm-hmm. it is so deep. Um, yeah, it was it was incredibly hard to write, and uh, but at the same time, the you know the the outcome of how freeing it is now that I wrote it, not just wrote it, but then shared it. So I mean, it was a combination of all that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're so glad you shared it. So I have two interesting um, parallels with you. One is I uh, lived in Houston in 1978. One reason I love you is because I was also this sports fanatic as a at a young age. Mine was more because I thought my dad had wanted a son, and he only had two daughters, and it was my job to be the son. So I had to love all the sports, but it it ended up being very authentic in the end. But, um, so your love you blue stuff, that was the, I feel like I need to, um, educate our friends, but that was the Houston Oilers were the NFL team at the time. Um, you talk about Dan Pastorini and my dad and mom once went out to dinner and my dad got Dan Pastorini's autograph. Oh, wow. I think it was at Guido's was the restaurant that he had gone to. Um, and it's one of those memories that if I hadn't read it in your book, I'm not sure I would have ever recalled that again. And I have this um, philosophical thing in my head. I just wonder, what is a memory? Is a memory, do we all have every single moment of our lives somewhere in our brains, and then it takes something to trigger it? As we do this pop culture stuff, and so many things are getting rekindled, I think, I guess it's always there, but it take it needs something to ignite it. So your book ignited so much. Can I um, go back to a couple of poignant moments? Because um, there are aspects of going back in time that, again, I have to like shake people to make sure they understand what it's like to go back in time and, and see your family and see your people. And um, that was some of the most, those were some of the most touching moments in the book for me. Um, Particularly when you see your grandparents, when you see the young faces of your parents, Oh my God, when you see your dog, when you, you hadn't even thought about your dog and then here comes Cecil around the corner and you just drop to your knees because you realize, big Amy realizes that little Amy really needed that dog. That dog listened to her every word and got her in a way that the people in her house maybe didn't get her. That really touched me. And I just want to read this part about seeing your grandparents. Um, Once the dead people started showing up, my delusion was notched up to an entirely different level. As thrilled as I was to see them, the sight of my dead grandparents shook me to my core. Traveling back in time was one thing. Seeing people I'd said goodbye to forever was another. I felt a cold sweat come over me, like when you're desperate to use the bathroom but can't. (laughs) And what you did for me there was make it real for me. How how, um, 
how your mind was blown. It wasn't just like, and then I saw my grandparents and then I saw my parents. Like it's not a plot point. You're trying to make an emotional point at that. These are people I thought I would never see again. And I have the opportunity to hold my hand out and shake their hand. Because, of course, they don't know who you are in this time travel book. We didn't say that, did we? Oh, I guess we didn't say <laughs> no, that. No, <laughs> we didn't. Yeah, Big Amy is a, is a guest in is their a stranger. home. Big Amy is a stranger. She's cousin Amy. Yes, <laughs> she's cousin Amy. Um, and so I – is that a question or am I just fawning over you? I don't know. <laughs> I guess well, I thank think, you for that. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. And I think that that um, – yeah, I think that – yeah, and I think trying to feel those things and write about them because, you know – to consider what it would feel like to, you know, see again, people you said goodbye to forever. I mean, that's, you know, it was almost like I actually did it in writing it, wow. you know, yes. cause I'm sitting here thinking, Oh, I remember that. I remember seeing them again. I'm like, okay, you weren't actually there. <laughs> FYI. Yeah, <laughs> you made that up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Way to go. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, that, yeah. And you know, I don't, I, I don't know if y'all, this is personal. You can cut this out if it's not any good, but my, my dad actually, who, you know, my, the, you know, the person who I am the closest to her was, he passed away the day before the book went to print suddenly. And so, um, and, and a great story is that my, I told you earlier that my dear friends forced me to get my parents the book. Uh, you know, like literally, like this is going to happen. This is what you're going to do. Get on the plane with the books and don't come back with them. Oh you know? My God. And, uh, so the last text I got from my father was Amy, uh, I finished your book. I loved it. I felt like I went back to time as time as well. The detail was so great. Um, I feel like you handled the delicate matters really well. I'm really proud of you. Love dad. Oh that was, th- that was the end. And so, but what, and, and that's sad and, and, now it, <laughs> yes. and rough. And when I did the audio book, you know, that was hard because he was gone. When I did the book launch, all of it, he missed all of it, but what a great gift that had I not been pushed by my people, yeah. my dad went to read my book. My dad read the book and thought it was great and gave me the best review I'm going to get on it. And uh, so it's it, that to me, that's a message about, you know, taking care of each other and being like, because my friends saw that for what that was. They didn't know he was going to die, but they gave me that gift yeah. by being my mm-hmm. friends. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. So we can do hard things. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. But that's, it's interesting though, because I wrote the book when my dad was alive, but then the book came out when he was gone. So the perspective, like seeing my dead grandparents makes it, you know, now my, know. yeah, my father's gone and, and that's a common experience, but it just, the timing of it was, you mm-hmm. know. Well, even when your dad opens the door, when big Amy knocks, rings the doorbell mm-hmm. and your dad opens the door and there's your 35 year old dad staring you in the face. And that mm-hmm. moment kind of took my breath away too, because you pause mm-hmm. there. You don't, again, you're not just making it a story point. You pause and you look at that 35 year old man mm-hmm. because he's a man who doesn't exist anymore. And then seeing our parents, that's a whole other hour podcast we could talk, seeing our parents for who they were, not just physically seeing them like, and you know, their faces looking different, but who were they? And then the whole aspect of, and, and why were they who they were? Why? Right. And that's a whole other thing you, you tackle in your book. That's, um, so thought provoking, mm-hmm. um, yeah. that really makes you stop and think, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense because as an adult, you go back and you, you see your mother in it through a different lens because now you're seeing how her mother yeah. <laughs> and her parents right. raised right. her. And so those are things you don't see as a child, mm-hmm. but right. you see as an adult. And so, um, yeah, there's just, it's just layer upon layer upon layer. Um, 
And I hope that everybody who reads this book will stop and pause at those moments yeah. and really and really let those soak in because, like we've said several times, this is not just – it is a hilarious book and it's yes, so fun. It is. But that's not all it is. Um, it is really – I feel like it's kind of a teachable moment. And I know that you're – you know, I know that that's got to be – like you say, that's bizarre for you to hear and, and it was unintentional. But um, for it, – it is. Mm-hmm. It's true. Mm-hmm. There's much to be learned. There is much to be learned, and that's what a good book always does. It teaches us stuff. It gives us things to think about, and I have no doubt that Amy's next book is going to do that exact same thing. Can you tell us a little bit about that project, Amy? Right, and I'll try not to go into too much detail, but okay. um, this was another unintentional uh, project in my life. So I wrote 580 handwritten letters to everyone on my Facebook list, and it just changed my whole life. And it was hilarious and sad and poignant and bizarre. And like, you know how you have people on your list you met at a wedding once six years ago? Yeah, or, or they're like, a friend of a friend or something. Right, you don't even know who the, every single person I wrote because I was I like, I'm going to write them all. Unbelievable. wait to read what happened and if they wrote you. I don't want to ask you now because I don't want to give away the book. But I can't yeah, wait to read I, it to see what happens. Do they write you? Like, I want to know right now. Do they write you back? What do they say? Yep, did a you, bunch did, of people wrote me back. And what the book is, I journaled the whole Facebook letter thing. And I picked 52 of the Facebook letters, real short chapters. And they're little vignettes about things I learned. And it kind of basically covers all the lessons I learned in these 52 vignettes. And it's a beautiful story. I'm super proud of it and excited. It's totally different than You Cannot Mess This Up. But it's a very inspiring, yeah. again, another non-intentional story that is just... I, I, what I, I'm going to call it is that it's an extraordinary story told by an ordinary person. Mm-hmm. But I think the thing I like best and the thing I learned the most uh, in, in writing all the letters is that and it, a lot of it was written in 2016 during the presidential election, the, the Trump uh, Clinton election. Mm-hmm. You know, so there was a, that divisiveness had started on social media, which we've endured and now has become just out of control. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I realized is that if I reach out to somebody, even if I don't know you, or I guess there's a couple layers. First of all, if you reach out to somebody who's a part of your life story and you're left with two blank pages, one thing that's going to happen is you're going to end up thanking that person for something they did in your life. Mm-hmm. So that gratefulness is going to start to explode your mind. You're going to be like, oh my gosh, look at all this that these people have been in my life. And so you're going to express that. And then when they do reply, Michelle, or even when they don't because you've expressed it, but when they do reply and they reply in kind, and and you share some level of love or, you know, even hilarity or whatever, then you realize that really nothing else matters. Like, oh, I don't care if you're a Republican, I'm a Democrat. And I think the greatest message of the whole book is nothing separates two people who are set on sharing in a loving way with each other, gratitude, or like I said, something funny or whatever. And I think it's such a great story of hope and that we're all connected and there's nothing that separates us really at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And I'm super excited about, especially now sharing that message with people. Mm-hmm. So That's beautiful. And that comes so, out one year from now. So we'll be keeping our eye on you. The book we we've talked sure about will, today yeah. is You Cannot Mess This Up mm-hmm. by Amy Wineland Daughters. I can't emphasize it enough. Go buy the book. Tell your friends because I guarantee you, you will want to talk about oh. it with somebody. It's available wherever you buy your books. Buy it locally if you can. Or consider buying from bookshop.org, an online book retailer that supports local bookstores. Amy, thank you so much. This was thank you guys. This was a blast. I really appreciate it. It was so fun to meet you. I feel like you're our new friend. Mm -hmm. I feel like I have new friends. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Go Vikings. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Go Vikings.
information, opinions, and comments expressed on the Pop Culture Preservation Society podcast belong solely to me, the Crushologist, and Carolyn and Hello Newman, and are in no way representative of our employers or affiliates. And though we truly believe we are always right, I guess there's always a first time. The PCPS is written, produced, and recorded at Modern Well, a woman-centered co-working space in Minneapolis, Minnesota, home of the fictional WJM Studios and our beloved Mary Richards. Nanu Nanu, keep on trucking, and may the force be with you. We get a happy feeling when we're singing a song.